0: It is a gift for us to join together this morning with our voices and our hearts to be open to what God would say to us this day. I'm going to be reading uh, from the Gospel of Luke as we wrap up this sermon series on the invitations of God to forgive. Um, This is a story that is placed in all four of the Gospels, differing contexts, different people that are involved. But uh, I want you to listen this morning for the way that Luke tells this story. And if you would like to stand in honor of the gospel lesson, I would invite you to do that now. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping Teacher, he replied. So Jesus said, A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. To the body of Christ currently located on 91st Street between Memorial and Sheridan from God's Supplier of Endless Mercy. Today I invite you to share the joy of forgiveness. Jesus said the more you are forgiven, the more you know you are loved. And the more you forgive others, the more love they will receive as well. What joy we have to offer the world when you participate in the forgiveness I first gave to you. I hope that you will receive this invitation to the party I'm planning at the end of the age where all will feast together at the banquet table of heaven. Come join me, all my love, God. Thank you, Taylor. What a gift it is, friends, for us to receive God's invitation each week and to remember how much God loves us. Each week we've received an invitation from God to forgive. The first week it was to see ourselves clearly. And then the next week it was to sort of discern or unravel the layers of forgiveness because it's a process. And sometimes it can take us many years uh, to be able to offer that gift to another person. And then last week, the invitation was to release, to let go, to surrender. And really, it was about releasing our need to be in control. Today, friends, we are invited to fully participate in forgiveness. God is making this gift of forgiveness available to us And through us. So I hope that's really good news for you today uh, because certainly in our world there is no shortage of opportunity, right, to be able to share the gift of forgiveness. The gospel text today is a powerful illustration, I think, of what forgiveness looks like and even feels like. There were a number of things that Pastor Heather and I learned uh, in our research this week that I would want to share with you because I think it will open the meaning of this story to us more deeply. In this day and time, when you invited a guest to your home, it was common to do three things in order to show them hospitality. You would wash their feet, you would offer them a kiss, and you would anoint them with oil upon their arrival. So you might think about it in terms of today, what would be some of the ways that we would show hospitality to a guest that arrives in our home? We might say, hey, can I take your coat? Might I get you a beverage? Is there a place to sit that you'd like to... Uh, Join us for a little bit of conversation before we eat. Those were common ways of showing hospitality in Jesus' day and time. So when this woman begins to wash his feet, while that was certainly a gracious act, it wasn't necessarily something that wasn't expected. Homes often had large open courtyards. So when this woman wandered into the dinner party, while it certainly was an intrusion, it wasn't like a break-in. It wasn't as if Jesus and his disciples and those who were gathered for dinner were locked behind a door and she had to get someone to let her in. No, they would have all come in through this large open courtyard. She'd probably been watching Jesus for a while and she knew that she wanted to get close to him. And when she saw him entering the Pharisee's house, she said, There's my chance. And so she just followed them in with everyone else. We also learned that it was customary for folks to sit on the floor in a reclined position as they ate. And Pastor Heather and I were talking about that would be rather awkward, wouldn't it? Because both of us have a hard time keeping food off of our front when we're sitting up. But I mean, imagine. So so the way that that would go is they'd put the food kind of on a low table in the middle of the room. And then everyone would lay down or, or kind of be on their elbow with their head closest to the table and their feet kind of spread out like spokes, and that's how they would share their meals together. Likely, she showed up while the dinner guests were talking and visiting with one another, sort of taking their place at the table, and it probably actually would have been a little while before they noticed her. This woman, who is never named in this particular passage, is actually extremely bold in her quiet and submissive demeanor both. She wanted to be close to Jesus for as long as he would allow it. She knew that her chance had come, so she enters into the uh, room there with Jesus, and as everyone spread out around the table, she goes to his feet, and she begins to bathe them with her tears. And knowing that this might be the only chance that she has to be close to Jesus, she begins to dry them with her hair, And then she notices that this is her chance to give him this expensive gift that she has brought, this anointment. And so she begins to anoint his feet with this ointment. She was willing to bear the weight of the stares and whispers, which probably didn't come right at first. But you know that feeling, right? When the awkwardness settles in and everybody goes, what's happening? Is she... Is she a guest? Like, where did she come from? And why won't she stop? She is actually very courageous when you think about it. So you know that experience of the dawning realization that what's happening here in this moment is awkward <laughs> and uncomfortable. And you know what you think, right? Make it stop. <laughs> oh, no, I'm watching a train wreck. Ah. Oh. And some of us have the response of we try to help the person save face, right? We, we go to them and we say, can, can I help you up? Let, let's go over here to the kitchen. I'll get you a drink of water, right, just to make it stop. And others of us look at her and say, get up. You don't belong here. Go away." But whatever our response is, we wonder how we're going to recover the evening after that. This was probably going to be several hours of conversation and food and time with each other. And this happens right at the very beginning. So what do you do with that? What do you think the conversation's going to be the rest of that evening? Hmm. It's fascinating that Jesus is the only one in this scenario who is not uncomfortable. He knows exactly what she needs and why she cannot bring herself to leave even after the awkward silence settles in and the whispers start, who is she? Where'd she come from? Does she know him? Right, all of that. He's not uncomfortable. It doesn't bother him. What he actually begins to notice is the discomfort and the disgust of his host, who we're told is named Simon. We're told that he is a Pharisee. That he has invited the uh, rabbi to come into his home. And then when Jesus begins to speak to him, he reminds Simon that even customary acts of hospitality were not extended to him when he arrived. Probably, likely, they all moved through the courtyard and began to enter Simon's home. And Jesus noticed that Simon conveniently found something else to do. He didn't offer him a place to sit. He didn't offer to take his coat. He didn't offer him a beverage. He said, oh, I've got something, I need to be in the kitchen, right, or whatever it is that we do because we really don't want to have to offer that level of hospitality to someone. Simon ignored the expectations of welcome and hospitality, and Jesus knew right away that he was Simon's status symbol. And Jesus probably said to himself, oh, I get it, right, I, I know why I'm here, You wanted everyone to see me come into your home so that you could say that you had invited me here. So for Jesus, that makes the contrast of this woman's over-the-top hospitality seem even more authentic. And so Simon then gets called out. Jesus notices his thoughts. I don't know if you could say he reads his mind, but friends, he knows what, Jesus, or what Simon is thinking, right? This is uncomfortable. Get her out of here. If Jesus only knew who she was. Friends, Jesus knew who she was. He didn't ask her to leave. And so Simon is very uncomfortable. And so Jesus asks for an opportunity to speak. Simon, is it all right if I speak? Yes, teacher, go ahead. And Jesus tells this short little parable. A banker had two customers owing him money. One owes the banker $100, the other owes the banker $1,000. And the banker decides to forgive both debts. And then Jesus says, so which one, Simon, will love the banker more? What? (laughs) Love, Love the banker more? I mean, Simon could understand which one would thank the banker more or be more grateful to the banker. But does being forgiven a debt elicit a response of love? When the banker forgives $100, should the person love him for that? Or even when the banker forgives $1,000? Most of us would say the banker probably has it to spare. I'm supposed to love the banker? I imagine a long pause before Simon answered, Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. Friends, here is really the crux of the matter in this particular story out of Luke's gospel. When it is true forgiveness, it elicits a response of love. When it is true forgiveness, it never increases a feeling of obligation. It never makes you want to pay it back to be free of the burden. That's not true forgiveness. That's keeping score is what that is. And Jesus wants Simon to understand. When you have been truly forgiven, your natural response is to love. And to love with abundance. To love with abandon. You see, being forgiven awakens something within us. Something that reflects our best selves. Being forgiven creates an opening for love to grow in our lives and then overflow. Which is why it's so important for us to understand the gift that we have been given in God's forgiveness so that that gift can overflow to others who need our forgiveness. That's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. We receive God's forgiveness so it overflows into the lives of those around us. So do you want to know if you have been truly forgiven? That's a question that many of us pose over and over again. But am I really forgiven? Well, ask yourself, has your capacity for love increased? If it has, then yes, you have been truly forgiven. The gospel story paints a picture of what it looks like when someone truly receives forgiveness. And at the end of the evening, who do you think walked away lighter? The woman or the Pharisee? Notice that shift in this story. At first, we feel uncomfortable for the woman. But when the story concludes, we actually feel more uncomfortable for the Pharisee. Perhaps you remember the Pixar film from 2009. Anybody remember this one? Jonathan was telling you how old he was in 2011. (laughs) I was older than him in 2009, <laughs> by quite a bit. <laughs> but if you remember this movie, oh, it's one of my favorite movies. I even brought my cup to show you. Mm-hmm. I know, this is so fun. I love this cup. Um, but the, the plot of the movie Up is that an elderly widower, Carl Fredrickson, ties balloons to his house in an effort, really, to escape his grief. He can't live there anymore without the woman that he's been married to for all these many years, and so he's always promised her a trip to Paradise Falls, and he says, I know how I'm going to get there. And he ties all of these balloons to the house, and it begins to lift up, up, and away. What he doesn't know is that he has a secret stowaway, Russell, right? And so on their way to Paradise Falls, Russell and, and Carl learn many lessons, and forgiveness is one of them. But as we conclude this series, I think up provides a beautiful image for what forgiveness can be in our lives. If if you remember nothing else, remember that image of the house being floated away with balloons. And know this, forgiveness takes you up, up, and away. It brings you great joy and freedom. Forgiveness takes you up. It, It lifts your burdens. Forgiveness, whether received or offered, always makes us lighter. There's no need to keep tying weights to our feet. If that gift has been given to us, hallelujah, right? Balloons. Forgiveness takes us up, up. It lifts us to where we can enjoy a new perspective. It allows us to be able to rise above the situation that we're in. That is a true gift of forgiveness. To show us vistas we would not seen before. Forgiveness allows us to to move up so that we can see the whole picture. And that's beautiful. Forgiveness takes us up, up, and away. Notice what Jesus says to this woman. At the very end of this story, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What he knows is that she has received what she came for. So when he sends her away, he's sending her away full, not empty. He's not shuffling her off to the kitchen and sending her out the back door so that no one has to be uncomfortable anymore. No. He says, you you got what you came for, and I'm glad to give it to you. Forgiveness takes us up, up, and away and gives us such a beautiful gift to take with us. You see, when I am able to receive forgiveness, I respond much like that unnamed woman. I naturally want to offer anything and everything I have to to honor the one who erased the debt. Because forgiveness begets love, and love begets forgiveness. As my journey with Christ continues, I find myself in that transparent place over and over and over again where I have to just be honest about where I really am. I have been forgiven, so have you. Nothing can take that away. But my deepest love for Christ comes when I touch that place of honesty and exposure so that I know that God loves me just as I am. I don't have to be anything else. Forgiveness begets love and love begets forgiveness. This morning you are invited to participate in God's forgiveness. You are invited to To open your full self to the one whose steadfast love endures forever. The Psalms remind us over and over and over again. I can tell you that that experience of being in front of God in that way can feel very vulnerable. Because you're fully known in that moment. There might even be tears. You, like the woman, might want to bring a sacrificial offering so that that can seal the deal. With, with God, just as a way of saying, I want you to know how much I love you as you walk away. But just as this woman walks away lighter and transformed, so will we, because forgiveness begets love, and love begets forgiveness. Amen.